Before we begin our time of Torah study tonight, would you pray with me? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvah tov, etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to talk to you tonight about God's compassion that's revealed in the care that he shows to repair and renew and restore. This world is broken. How many of you can confirm that? I think we've all had experience with this broken world. Every one of us comes to God as someone who has been broken. And we look to God to repair us and to renew us, to really touch us and and restore us. It's through his compassion, it's through his mercy, it's through his love, all working together that God turns to the contrite and he promises to be with them who have been humbled by life and whose hearts have been softened and broken before the Lord. And the Lord says that he'll dwell closely with the contrite and the brokenhearted who come humbly before him. You don't have to be high and mighty to get God's attention when, when you come low to him, even in those times of need. He promises to dwell with us. And, and we have learned that through Yeshua's death and through his resurrection, we're able to participate in resurrection life as new creations, people who have been fixed and who have been repaired and made new better than before. So this week's Haftorah from the prophet Isaiah speaks about God's promise to repair, renew, and restore. Tomorrow I'm going to share about two portions, one from Isaiah 49, verses 22 and 23, which speaks about how God will use Gentiles in order to restore Jewish people. Very important. But tonight I want to focus on Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 3. And the first verse says this, Listen to me, you who pursue justice, or you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were dug. So what are we told to do? We're told to consider. And that means to to think about, to study, to ponder. And we're to ponder something interesting. Ponder a rock. And ponder the quarry that the rock was cut from. And we know what rocks are. You know, they're, they're rocks. And we know what quarries are. How many of you have ever been in a quarry? And we're told, think carefully about the rock and think carefully about the quarry. And I think the reason it tells us that is because it's provoking us to realize something. Like a rock is part of something bigger. You and I are part of something bigger. Our experiences with God are not just disconnected from past history or from other people. You and I have a connection 
we're part of a long line of generations that have drawn close to the Lord. Now, verse 2 adds some specificity, because you may not know where it's going. It says this, consider Abraham your father, and Sarah who gave birth to you. So now we're to consider the rock from which you were cut, and the quarry from which you were dug, and then it, in parallel, says, consider Abraham, your father. Consider him your father. And that can be understood a few different ways. One is this. Think about him. He's your father. Understand him. Learn about him. Uh, meditate on his life. Learn about the details of his life. But there's another aspect, and it's this. Consider him your father. Consider him to be one of your own ancestors. Now, as a Jew, I grew up with this idea that we recognize that God is the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Amidah begins uh, with this portion of vote which speaks of that. And so I, I was told we're descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's true. It's absolutely true. It's 100% true. But there's another aspect to it, which is to consider the life of faith that they lived so that we might live in that same kind of faith, trusting God the way Abraham did. Now, sometimes we're not taught about that. Sometimes we're not provoked to think in this way, where we, we think about Jewish culture and Jewish holidays and Jewish food and Jewish this and that. But to think about Abraham as the father and Sarah as the mother in order to know something about the faith that we're called to do. Sometimes we're not challenged nor instructed about this. But this particular Haftor portion, this reading from Isaiah, is going to be read in synagogues everywhere tomorrow. It's good that you're prepared. If you take the scripture seriously, read in advance. Read afterwards. It'll, you'll get much more out of it if you have read and continue to read. But there will be a challenge to the Jewish people everywhere. Think about Abraham. Think about Sarah. Think about the faithfulness of God to them so that you can think about the faithfulness of God to you and how much you need from him. You carry on in their names. So we're to know their history and their experience with God. We need to know the covenant life of faith that they lived because your life of faith is connected to their life of faith. It says this, consider Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you. Some, some of you would say, well, but I'm not Jewish, so I can't, I can't think of it that way. Well, God promised to make of Abraham a multitude of nations of Goyim, as well as Jews. And he knows how to do that. He says, consider Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you in that I called him when he was only one person and then I blessed him and I made him many. 
So the scripture is teaching us this. If you really want to get God in your heart and in your mind, if you want to feel the way God feels and think about things the way God is thinking about, do this because it will help you. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about where you come from and don't trace your lineage in all the directions of unbelief, but trace your lineage back to Abraham. And you might say, well, I don't have lineage back to Abraham. Then consider yourself adopted. That's how we're to view these things. Consider that Abraham was all alone and God blessed him and increased him and made him many. Now here's the part that really focuses on the theme of God's compassion to repair and renew and restore. Verse 3, the Lord will comfort Zion and will comfort all the ruins. Some translations say will comfort all the ruined places or show compassion to the ruined places. The Hebrew is more direct. It's, it's almost personified language. And it says the Lord will comfort the ruins. So Think about this, because as you're considering Abraham and Sarah, it's supposed to strengthen you and, and encourage you and comfort you as you realize what God did for them and with them and through them, and that you still being here and the Jewish people still being here, we are a testimony of God's faithfulness to Abraham and to Sarah. So God is accomplishing what he set out to do. But he says, the Lord's going to comfort Zion and comfort the ruins. Now, it wouldn't mean so much if all God was going to do is to go to every ruined place and say, there, there, don't feel bad. Because places are places and things are things, but what he's, he's speaking about is something much more than that. He's speaking about people whose lives are in ruin or people who are living in ruined places, in broken countries, in war-torn countries, in poverty-stricken countries, in places suffering from sickness and disease because of poverty, in places without freedom. But he's not just speaking to places like that. He's speaking to broken places in our lives. Anything that's ruined in our lives, anything that's not healthy and, and doing well and prospering. The Lord says he's going to comfort. Now we know something, that the comfort that God gives to you when you need comfort enables you to comfort other people when they need comfort. The comfort that you experience is useful for you, but not only for you. By comforting you, you become capable of comforting other people. You become empathetic. You, you understand better what it is to suffer. You know what it's like to endure, to have to continue to hope, to persevere, even when circumstances aren't going your way. And when you've prayed and hoped and thought, now it's going to turn and it doesn't, you know that God can still be with you through the long haul. The comfort that he gives you 
is going to be amazing if we see the imagery from verse 3. The Lord will comfort Zion. He'll comfort all the ruins and make her desert like Eden. Is that a good transformation? And her desert valley like the garden of the Lord. So that's still speaking as if it's about places, but it's not. It's using those kinds of places in order to make a comparison that we can grasp. But the next few phrases help us understand something. Joy and gladness will be there. Now this is not talking about a happy place like Walt Disney World or something like that. It's talking about the joy and the gladness of the Lord. Thanksgiving and the sound of music. And it it uses the word for thanksgiving. It's a very simple Hebrew word, todah. Say that with me. Todah. And it's a way to say thank you, thanks, it's also a way to say thanksgiving, and, and it's correct. And Todah was the, the name for the celebration of the meal of Messiah that the first generation of Messianic Jews would celebrate. When they got together, they said, Todah. They called it thanksgiving. And you know how to say thanksgiving in Greek, roughly? Evcharist, Eucharist. So if you're wondering where it came from, uh, it, it came from Jewish believers who would get together and say, Todah to the Lord for the new covenant. There'll be thanksgiving and the sound of music. So again, do you see, this isn't just talking about places or, or buildings that have been ruined because buildings don't give thanks. Buildings aren't joyful. You can repair a building. The owner may be happy. The people who dwell in it may be happy. Beth's happy. She's got a brand new bathroom, right? Right? She showed me pictures tonight. Fantastic. A gift from family that feels like a gift right from the Lord, right? The bathroom's not happy. Beth is happy. The people who use it are happy, right? So joy and gladness doesn't mean the plumbing is happy. It doesn't mean the floor is happy. It means the people who dwell there are filled with joy and gladness. So think about anything that's broken in your life. Now, things, don't, things can be broken without being tragic. You know, let's make this not too heavy. If something's broken and you have to fix it, is it a tragedy? Not unless you're like over dramatic. If you get a flat tire, is that a tragedy in life? But it has to be fixed, right? If you break a leg, which I did, is it a tragedy? Yeah. It, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. But not everything that hurts rises to the level of tragedy. It's not going to ruin your life because you have a flat tire or a broken leg necessarily or, or something doesn't go so well. But even when things aren't going well and there's something broken, we can feel frustrated unnecessarily. Sometimes all we need to do is fix what's broken. But sometimes we can't fix what's broken. We need God's help. And he's waiting for us 
to recognize that he's a God of compassion and mercy who will help and will restore and will fix the things that are broken. Now, we're living in a time when anything broken is often treated as worthless and then discarded. There are certain electronic devices, if it breaks, no one wants to fix it. There aren't even people to diagnose some of these things anymore. You just have to buy a new one or replace a major component rather than to fix a little part. But the Lord has a different attitude about brokenness. That's what he's conveying to us. Don't throw away other people simply because they're broken. And he will not do that. He knows how to fix what's broken, and it requires comfort and compassion. He'll comfort what's broken. And I think about this, he'll, he'll, treat, with, he'll treat the brokenness with kindness, with gentleness, and with respect, with concern, and with careful attention. But let me be cautious about this, because I remember when I broke my leg when I was 10 years old. I had a spiral fracture that went uh, around my leg because I thought I could jump over someone who was trying to tackle me in backyard football. And I made it almost all the way over. And I caught my toes on his shoulder. He had gone down to tackle me, and I decided, I've seen this on TV. You know, and uh, yeah, I did not hurdle quite high enough. And so I caught my foot on his shoulder, and then I just flipped a few times, and I landed on my left leg, and I couldn't walk, and it really hurt. And when my dad took me to the hospital that weekend, because it happened on the weekend, I, I went into the ER, and they called for an orthopedic surgeon to come. And he came to fix it. And with gentleness and kindness and firmness, he said to me, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and I, I remember my first response was, stop. And he just ignored me. And he took his two hands and he felt around the break. And of course, you know what I did being a strong 10-year-old. I screamed. And all I could say was, stop, stop. And he just ignored me for a reason. Because in his gentleness, he knew his purpose. His purpose was to fix what was broken. And even though it meant there would be a little bit more pain now in order to do that, he did not spare me that pain because if he spared me, it wouldn't have been fixed correctly. It could have been damaged for the rest of my life. I haven't thought about that for a long time. But when I was thinking about, oh, how kind and gentle the Lord is, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. It doesn't mean that God is like loosey-goosey, just going to make you feel better and, you know, please have some more candy and ice cream and everything is going to be all right. There are times when he'll say, there, there, it's okay. Of course he will. 
You know that. But there are also times when he'll say, there, there, this is going to hurt. Right. And I remember one parent saying to their child before they gave them a spanking, they said, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. <laughs> yeah, usually you hear it the other way around. He said, oh, no, son, this is going to hurt you more. <laughs> but God, in his, in his compassion, touches broken things to fix broken things, not to discard them, not to render a judgment, this is worthless, but he wants to repair what is broken. I want to pray for anyone who's looking for God's comfort and mercy and love to repair whatever's broken in your life or in the lives of people around you. So if, if, if you're such a person, you can just be saying amen as you're praying with me. Lord, I thank you that you show mercy and compassion to us and that you are ready, Lord, to fix what's broken in our lives. Thank you for that kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you want to repair what's broken. You don't consider us valueless, worthless, simply to be discarded and thrown on the garbage dump, but you want to repair even the ruins in our lives and all around us. And we thank you for that. Let our hearts receive comfort from you, we pray, in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Hey, Aaron, you want to chant the blessing again? You may be able to use it. Can we get this on? Are we on? on? Are we on? Yes. Yeah, we are on. Okay. I'll start with English. The prayer is for all of you here, and I humbly request that God grant this prayer. I pray it with all earnestness for all of Beth Israel's family, including the Korshans so far away. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant each and every one of you his peace. Yivarechecha Adonai Vaishmarecha Yair Adonai Panavalecha Viachunecha Yisa Adonai Adonai, I panavilecha, v'esemlecha, shalom. Let us all say amen. 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 Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Thank you.